Hello, this is Dan Eaton, a reporter with Columbus Business First, and this is Newsmakers, a podcast discussion with Central Ohio leaders and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I talked with Greg Ubert, founder and CEO of Crimson Cup Coffee and Tea. It's a big year for the business, which Ubert founded 30 years ago. Historically, Crimson Cup has been more of a behind-the-scenes operator, a wholesaler and consultant to hundreds of coffee shops across the U.S. and even a franchise in Bangladesh. But in the last decade, Crimson Cup has put itself out front more, not just winning numerous accolades for its coffees, but also expanding its own shops, including its newest space at Easton Town Center. That's just one of the evolutions of the business in the past 30 years. Ubert talked to me about how else the industry has changed during that time, how the COVID-19 pandemic impacted his business, including how many days in a row he wore sweatpants to work, and what his hopes are for Crimson Cup's future. As always, thanks for listening. Thank you very much for uh, joining me today for the podcast. First and foremost, congratulations on a uh, milestone year this year. I believe it is 30 years. Is that correct? That is correct. Very good. Well, what what better place to start than, um, you know, why don't you let our listeners know a little bit about your origins with Crimson Cup? What what brought you into this business and and how did you start? I I grew up here in in central Ohio. So I grew up in Worthington and then uh, went to school, college in Boston. And then I was uh, first job out of college was in Chicago, a computer software company. And long story short, I just couldn't fall in love with computer software. So I decided I was looking around to see what I'd be passionate about, uh, what I'd be really excited and, and also where I wanted to be too, because that, that came into play. Boston, Chicago are great cities. I love them. Uh, by the same token, I thought back then in, in uh, 1990 that Columbus would, would come around mm-hmm. because when I would tell people, hey, I'm, I'm moving to Columbus, and they'd be like, Where, where's that? And why would you do such a thing? So I said, well, you know, it has, it's, it's a great place. There's a lot of great community there. You know, you don't have to go to private school like a lot of large cities. People feel like they have to go to private school, whereas here, there are so many great communities to be in, and you don't have to go to private school if you don't want. So, because you can get a very good education in and around the city of Columbus. And I think that that helps the community aspect. So that was certainly one drawing me back to Columbus because I thought it could be what it is today, really, which back then uh, there weren't a whole lot of restaurants. I could probably count them on maybe two hands, the amount of restaurants in Columbus. And and, and now, of course, it, it's a scene. It's become a place to be, uh, certainly in Ohio. And then when people come here from out of town, they're like, oh, my gosh, this is really a great city and still somewhat hidden gem, I would say. So, but I, that's what I thought it would become more like it is now. So certainly that was a driver, the community aspects and also no, thinking that Columbus would, would come around. The other piece was from the coffee perspective, you know, having great coffee and understanding what was out there back at that time, there really wasn't a lot of great stuff. I mean, that good coffee just was not available, wasn't around, wasn't easily accessible like it is now. And I thought back then I said, well, you know, if I can taste the difference between really good coffee and maybe not so great coffee, I bet you others might too. 
and drink it more for the taste, not necessarily for the caffeine. Because that was really the why most people drank coffee. They wouldn't tell you that it tasted great. They said, look, I need to get up in the morning and this is helpful, would be most of what people said back, back certainly in the 80s and, and early 90s. I wanted to create something that people could get really excited about. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to create an environment in which there wasn't that you know, 60 to 70%, which is still prevalent today, if you ask people in corporations, hey, do you like being here? Or what do you like about being here? And, and you know, still the stat, Dan, is, is 60% of the people or more are disengaged at work. And I didn't want that, because that's mm -hmm. certainly what I found at that computer software company when I go around and ask people, hey, why are you here? What do you do? Well, a lot of the conversation would go toward the weekend. Oh, here's what I'm doing on the weekend, right? And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, I get it, right? I mean, responsibilities. And by the same token, I, I wanted uh, to create an environment where people could, could get excited about what it is that they're doing and stay excited about what they're doing. And thankfully, uh, over 30 years now, I, I can say, and I wish it upon anybody, that they have, uh, uh, that they're as fortunate as I am. How did you go about starting a, a coffee business? At a time at a time when this wasn't is is prevalent, and certainly you know Columbus is not a hotbed for uh, coffee producers, you know, for for example. So how how do you start? How did you start in this world? Well, I, I think the the first thing uh, one of my experiences out in uh, Las Gatos. So I was in Las Gatos visiting a friend who was going to Stanford Business School at the time, and I decided to go out for a week and just kind of hang out there wound up in Las Gatos Coffee Company in circa 1990 and thinking, what am I gonna do with the rest of my life? And then coffee was it, right? And at that point, uh, I knew that there's gonna be a decent amount of education because people just didn't know. So mm -hmm. I educated myself as much as I could about coffee, great coffee, learned about different kinds of roasters and what roasters, because there was only really maybe there's a lot more choices now, but there's there's probably like three major ones, probably, and, and, and not much else. So I didn't mm -hmm. have a lot to look at, but enough to look at to say, okay, which which one do I want, uh, and how do I go about doing that? Really, it was just uh, kind of definitely believing that people would uh, gravitate toward better tasting coffee, thinking that I could do a decent job, or at least thinking that people in Columbus would be open to at least tasting something different that maybe they haven't hadn't had and knowing that I could do an okay job of uh, getting to that point so that they would be able to to try it and so that's that's really it there wasn't a huge I don't know about a huge amount of work that mm -hmm. went into it Dan I just believe that you know what if I failed because I moved in with my parents thank goodness I have a great relationship or did and still do with my parents so they allowed me to move in with them and that really helped too because it was like all right if if I fail I don't have a whole bunch of account responsibilities uh it's going to be me and, and if, if I fail, then that's just it, then I'll go on and do something else. So there was certainly a, uh, a cushion in case something did happen, something that it, it didn't work out. Yeah. But by the same token, I was going to do everything that I possibly could to make it work because I thought it could.
So, and in, in, in I'm thinking about this and it, and it occurs to me that we've probably talked about this, but I, I cannot remember, if we have, I can't remember the answer offhand, which is, did you initially want to start a coffee shop or did, because the business obviously is not, um, you know, a key part of your business is that you help others, uh, you supply others and help others start their shops and you don't, you know, you don't have a net, you, you have a network, but you know, there are, there are not, you know, 200 crimson cups around the, 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 the country. Right. So, so, so that is a question. That's a great question. Yeah. I don't know if I have a good answer for that. <laughs> Why did I get into wholesale instead right. of retail? I thought about it, but I just don't know if I have a, have a great answer to mm -hmm. that. I think that, you know, there are two very separate businesses. One is you know, roasting the operations part and then the servicing of that, which is outside of the four walls in which you manufacture, uh, is, is very different than having somebody come into you in a retail environment. So, so there's something about the, the wholesale environment, me going out and, and talking with people. Maybe that was, uh, maybe that was the, what made it for me because that's what I was being recruited for at uh, the computer software company mm -hmm. in Chicago, something where I would go out and see people and kind of explain my ideas or at least the company ideas and, and try to get them uh, moving and potentially in, in the way that would be good for a good partner. So I think that that was probably more my inclination was, mm -hmm. was the wholesale aspects. Let's take a giant leap uh, forward in time. And if there's any spots along the way uh, that, that, that you want to highlight, you can uh, we can feel free to, to do that or go back and do that. But what's the business like today? We're still in the midst of a weird year and, um, and we can get to that as well. But for our listeners, how many uh, shops around uh, the world do you work with? And just give me a little snapshot of what business is like today. Yeah. Yeah, our business is uh, still the majority uh, wholesale for sure. So we supply a few hundred independent coffee houses throughout 40 states mm -hmm. in and around there. We have a franchisee in Bangladesh. So I, uh, that's probably by everybody's top 10 to go to. Uh, <laughs> but I can tell you, it's, it's wonderful. It's something that I couldn't even dream of back then when I started it. So to see that what it is that they're doing in Bangladesh, seeing Crimson Cup, because it is a franchise over mm -hmm. there. There are five Crimson Cup stores over there and they're doing a, an unbelievable job. So it's unreal to go to another part of the world or halfway around the world and taste Crimson Cup coffee. That's the same there as it is, is here and people really loving the brand and loving what it is that we stand for over there. And obviously that takes great partners over there in Bangladesh. So, so that's a market segment of ours is uh, the wholesale market segment, coffee houses, college universities. Of course, mm -hmm. we, we work with a lot of college universities as well, um, large, small businesses, you know, whether around here like Cardinal Health or Chase or uh, Nationwide, places like that, uh, hospitals like the Cleveland Clinic, you know, here in town like Nationwide, uh, Riverside, Mount Carmel. Uh, wonderful market segment there too. And then, you know, then some grocers as well. That's our wholesale marketplace. So it goes really quite, quite a bit. And then uh, here, in, you know, we have uh, for our coffee houses, we have a 
Crimson Cup Coffee Houses at, uh, in Clintonville. That was our first one in 2007. And then Upper Arlington, the Greater Columbus Convention Center there up in Talmadge and Akron. And then our newest one, uh, which is a little bit different concept over at Easton, the new part of Easton, which is uh, Crimson. And that kind of highlights our innovative drinks because that's one of the things that we, we truly love to do. So, you know, how it's changed, you know, in 30 years, there's so many different so many different things that have changed. So for instance, roasting has changed quite a bit. You know, I used to do all our roasting back in the nineties and, you know, it was, uh, you know, so for us, it's like cooking or for a chef, it's like cooking. So it's called roasting in the coffee business, of course, but it's similar, it achieves similar things. So it's what you roast on, how you roast it, time and temperature is very important to how it how it ultimately tastes. And so that has really gotten very specific. I don't do any roasting anymore. As a matter of fact, nobody believes that I did roasting. Uh, <laughs> so that's okay. You know, uh, we have unbelievable people here that make it so the coffee is phenomenal. And that's why, you know, we've, uh, we've been fortunate enough to win so many awards in the coffee industry from the Golden Bean to the National Coffee Roaster of the Year to the Good Food Awards. I mean, all these wonderful awards are, are because that we can source coffee very well and work with our farmers throughout the world so they can even make very specific coffees or unique coffees specifically for us that we think are going to do really well. And then we know how to cook it or we know how to roast it to perfection. And, and those are the things. So the roasting aspect, more technologies come into play, even technology from the farming perspective as well. So we can communicate with our farmers and, and change the way that they're harvesting the coffee or how they're harvesting, how they're processing the coffee. So uh, our farmers you know, around the world, we can connect with them via cell phone. And of course, that wasn't available in the 90s and really 2000s. Now, most, uh, a lot of farmers have that. And so that has become really special for us because all of our connections and relationships, we can stay close, mm -hmm. uh, closer than what it is that, that we had been able to do in the past. Two major things that, that, have, uh, that are really cool in the, the industry and it keeps it live, keeps it fresh, uh, keeps us really striving to do better in, at our coffee producing countries. And then also here, what can we do better? What can we do more, more bring more innovation to the industry? When did the company get that kind of global reach toward it for, for, for sourcing? Was that in there from the beginning or is that something that developed over time? You know, it was something that developed in, I think in, uh, you know, I, I kind of, since I'm uh, old enough now, I kind of put it into decades about how <laughs> things went, right? So really the, I would say the, the, the first decade was really, is really teaching, you know, mm -hmm. and, and kind of sharing, uh, teaching and sharing because again, great coffee just was not really around a whole lot. And so it was more of the education process and, and opening somebody up to tasting something new and different. And that was, that took a lot of time. There were certainly times in there where I didn't know if it was going to work back in the nineties. And yet I said, you know, I just kept on driving and saying, no, it's, it's going to work. Right. And then really the concentration on our coffee is, I would say is the second decade. So really, because what I was hearing a lot of, and it's, it's okay, I've never met a roaster anywhere in the world that didn't think they had the best coffee in the world. 
It just hasn't happened. I don't yeah. think it'll happen ever. So I, what we wanted to do is we don't, obviously we love our craft. We love what we do. Uh, and I wanted other people saying, hey, look, Crimson Cup has has tremendous coffee, you know, and, and that was something from an article from the Chicago Tribune, which is very nice. They said we're the most decorated coffee company in the Midwest. And because that we really focused on that, we focused in on making sure that we could, you know, uh, we were deserving of, of, of if we were going to say something, we wanted to be very deserving of it, not from ourselves, but from from other uh, experts in, in the industry. And then the third phase, really, I would say is relationships with our farming communities. So that did come a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, what was interesting to me about that, and it's really, really the, uh, I would say the engaging piece of what I just love is being able to make a difference, mm-hmm. uh, being able to make a difference. And, and that's something that is something that's gone through all of Crimson Cup, but just a little bit different now that we're certainly focused uh, overseas as well as, as here in Columbus and other part of the U.S., but focused in on our, our coffee communities because we can make a, a heck of a difference there. Relationships are so important to us. What I didn't realize was that uh, we could make a difference. I, I thought, holy cow, the industry's been around for so long. What are we going to be able to do? Well, it turns out we could do a lot. We show our coffee farmers, a lot of them, how to make better coffee. So whenever we go into a coffee a co- coffee community, we work, we work at three levels. One is environmental, because we want to make sure the coffee pulp gets in the right place and that can be uh, used as fertilizer, et cetera, et cetera. There's things that we want to do, make sure that uh, we're protecting the environment, number one. Number two, socially, there's so much need, Dan. There's an incredible amount of need. I mean, before COVID, I was in Honduras with customers and we were building a house for a coffee picker. Right. So whether it's building houses or donating computers, books, uh, water filtration systems, really, the need is just uh, tremendous. And that's something that that we want to do. I think the sustainable piece that what I call the sustainable piece is a business aspect, which is if we show our show our farmers how to grow better coffee, we'll pay them more. And we have. Mm-hmm. I didn't, when I first went down, I didn't know if that was possible. I thought, well, of course they would know. And, and the reality is they didn't know. And, and we could show them and teach them how to grow better coffee and we would pay them more for it. So that's part of what's allowed our relationships because we do look for those relationships in coffee producing countries. And believe it or not, Dan, not every community believes or wants to believe that people want a better coffee. Right. So I've been in communities where they say, you know, no, thanks. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's okay. It's their choice, right? It's not a something where we want to force somebody to do something. Mm-hmm. We never want to do that. We want to find partners who, who want to, in relationships, or people who want to do that and believe in it, and therefore works out very well. What's the competitive world now versus, you know, again, you, you said 30 years ago, one of your one of the attractions to the space is there weren't a lot of people doing this, you know, like good coffee was, was hard to find. Uh, it's less hard to find today. I think that's, that's, that's fair to say. So what's, um, what's it like out there from a competitive standpoint? I can speak for the coffee business. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the, the other businesses are, are probably competitive as well. I mean, that's a, 
wonderful thing about being in the States is com- competition makes us better. At least mm-hmm. that's what I believe. And, and so uh, we have to continue to get better and better along the way, right? And, and so there's a whole bunch of different customer needs, consumer needs, and there are companies that can fulfill on pieces like that. You know, we fulfill what we do and what we, I think that we do really well, we have different aspects of our business. So I know that we teach extremely strong, like how to make a coffee business really succeed, Mm -hmm. whether that's in a food service operation or whether that's independent coffee houses. That's one of the things that are, are certainly one of our strengths is that that's what I learned in the 90s. How could somebody kind of the same thing in the same location, how could somebody fail? And then how could somebody be wildly successful? So that's the thing that I learned in the 90s. There are things that people do right and or that people don't know about, unfortunately, that can cause, uh, potentially cause their demise. And so obviously we wanted to teach our customers how to really thrive. And that's the teaching aspects of what it is that we do, not only with our independent coffee houses, but with our food service operations too. So for instance, we took a coffee bar that was doing $500 a day and doubled the sales. Same location. Mm-hmm. And allegedly they had it, well, not allegedly, they did have a large company that was uh, supplying them, you know, that I'm sure a lot of people know. And guess what? We went in there and doubled their sales. That's just the power of our teaching and training. Mm-hmm. That's the power of our products because we spend so time with all of our products. So whether that's our coffee, whether anything else, our syrup, sauces, whatever goes into a coffee bar, we spend a lot of time on. And that's something else that we've become really strong that I begin to notice is that, you know, not everybody's a great formulator. I didn't know that because it came relatively easy to us. So the first one of the first, I did coffee and stuff like that and worked on that, but other ingredients like powders for frozen drinks, you know, so I made up a a powder for frozen drink in the nineties and it's phenomenal and it's a great value to our customers. And I would say, geez, it's, you know, I'd love to do a taste test with people on their, on their different ones. I haven't done that, but (laughs) it's, you know, it's, it's an awesome, it's, 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 it's a product does extremely well for us. And, but those are the types of things that I guess came relatively easy. So therefore I thought that other people could do that just as strongly. What I found is they can't. So that's another thing that, that we do extremely well is formulation of, of drinks, formulation of products. And, uh, and that's really exciting too, because uh, the demand for those, I don't think will, will go away. Let me uh, talk to me a little bit about the past year. How did um, how has the pandemic affected your business, either from wholesale sales or maybe from uh, from new new starts? Again, as you said, you you help a lot of establishments uh, a start and run their business. Did you see any sort of fluctuations in that in the past year? I guess how how were you impacted at Crimson Cup? Well, Dan, uh, about a year ago, I came back from uh, being uh, gone on, on spring break, and I, uh, I broke a record. I broke a record for the amount of days I wore sweats. <laughs> so I came back, and of course, things have gone, it went uh, just terribly downhill, and I was looking at probably sales from like 1999. 
And I was like, holy cow, how's this? And of course, people weren't here at this office. You know, I'm sitting in our innovation lab, right? So there was really nobody here except for me. So, you know, that's why I wore sweats for, I think it was 49 days in a row coming here. You know, trying to figure out what was going to happen. How could we get over this? This was a yet another challenge. And so how could we, how could we get over this? So, of course, at our production facility, so we have two places here, our innovation mm-hmm. lab and our production facility down the street. And of course, they did just a, a wonderful job making sure that, you know, we were roasting, we were shipping, we were taking care of our customers throughout. And that, and that, was, that was awesome. I think it was a, definitely a coaching uh, moment too, because like I had been through quite a few, whether that was uh, certain numerous crashes or, or other types of things that I had to get through. And, and I kind of viewed this one, albeit pandemic, that doesn't happen, but what, every hundred years or so? It was certainly different by the same token, I, I looked at it as a, as a challenge for, for all of us. How are we gonna get through it? And what can we do to support our customers? You know, so those are the real things that, that came up for me it's just like, how are we going to support our customers? Now, some of them obviously closed their doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's really nothing uh, that could be done. So looking at that and wondering when they would come back um, was, was, was certainly, uh, um, it's been longer than what I thought. Let's put it mm-hmm. that way. Uh, other aspects of our business, like one of our stores in Upper Arlington, my my people, what we call my cuppers, weren't feeling well and the customers weren't feeling well. And so we just shut the place down in, in mm-hmm. April. And then I did ask the city if we could bring out our mobile truck and put that right in the middle of the parking lot so we could have, in essence, a drive-through. Mm-hmm. And that worked worked well. That worked really well. So very thankful for customers there who took to that, who are the city who did that as well. And, and that's usually kind of what happens. It's finding those relationships finding uh, new things, uh, different things, uh, because there's going to be a whole bunch of things coming at people, at least in business all the time. So then it's just a matter of how do we do things different. So our customers were doing things differently. Thankfully, throughout the country, our coffee houses did really well on mm-hmm. the, for the most part. Very thankful for that. And, and just communicating with them and what it is that they were doing, what it is that we could provide them, the assistance that we could provide them, that was no different than, you know, strong relationships, right? And, and that's, um, that's great to have. And I'm very thankful, fortunate to have, have so many of those. Uh, so it was just a, I mean, it was crazy and it's still exciting, I would say, yeah. you know, there, it had, the excitement hasn't ended. So uh, it's just really looking at it and saying, how can we do better today? What are some of the things that we can help our customers out, make it easier, uh, better for them? And also the people here too. Looking forward, we haven't been able to travel to origin, Dan, mm-hmm. and that we do quite often. You know, so we're travelers. We do. I don't do all of it. I have a couple other people that do uh, do a, a large uh, size of the traveling too. And we haven't been able to get out to uh, uh, visit our friends in in uh, um, in areas uh, outside the U.S. So that's been difficult too because we love doing that. We love mm-hmm. having them come here because they want to uh, come and see us, and we love to do that too. Have them here in Columbus. So there's been some 
positive things like we're doing today, I would say that's a positive thing that's kind of fast forward a little bit. So maybe we can communicate Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit better by the methods that are available right now or become more convenient and acceptable to do. You know, so I think there's some some definite positives there that, you know, I'm excited to to continue. And it's been uh, it's been tough on on a lot of people, you know, and, and mm-hmm. certainly in our industry, you know, it, it, it's been uh, challenging. I think uh, coffee sales went down about five percent during this time. So that's kind of kind of where we are as a whole. What do you want to see in the next few years? You've made it 30 years and in, in counting. What are some of the goals for the business in the uh, in the upcoming years? I think, Dan, that, you know, our brand, Crimson Cup, kind of been uh, a secondary in a lot of places. Like mm-hmm. you mentioned, our coffee houses, since we're not a franchise, you know, they're using their own names and, 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 and that type of thing. So, and that's perfectly fine. They, mm-hmm. they do a great job within their own communities. By the same token, I think that, you know, with our brand and who it is, what is it, who, who we are and what we do is, um, I, don't, I don't know about unique, but it's rare in terms of the, the travel that we do, the relationships that we do, the, 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 you know, our product quality, you know, all those types of things. Uh, I think I want to share more from a Crimson Cup perspective. So one of the things that I'm working on, Dan, is how can we expand more Crimson Cup owned and operated stores? I think that that's going to be important because that allows us to really communicate our message. And, and our message is really, you know, it's not, it's not difficult at all. It's, it's really more, hey, support companies that, uh, that you believe are doing the right thing. And because a lot of people say, hey, I want to go to Origin. We've taken customers, students to Origin and stuff like that. Not everybody can do that. And it's not feasible to do all the time. But, but that's not really uh, imperative. What is imperative is having the giving mindset. So giving back, that's one of our core values and has been for 30 years. So people can do that, you know, by supporting companies that, that they believe are doing the right things. And so getting people around that message, I think, is going to be really important. There's a lot of room to grow, Dan. I mean, holy cow. For 30 years, I've heard people say, you know, nobody's going to pay for a latte and still, believe it or not, you know, hey, if you don't spend whatever dollars, then you can have a retirement or whatever the thought process is. That has not changed. That message has been the same from the 90s to now. I think that people enjoy it. That's why people do it. People enjoy having a great drink. And I don't think that they're going to stop, you know? And and so we have to provide that to them. We have to provide that great drink to them. We have to show them, hey, you know, some of the stuff that we're doing is, uh, is pretty cool. You know, so I, I think a trip over to Easton at Crimson at Easton uh, to see our innovation more and more. I mean, I think that, that that's that's one way to go. I think our innovation lab here, too. You know, we have people here all the time. We're beginning to have more and more customers here from all over. As a matter of fact, we'll have the Bangladesh folks in, let's see, in July. You know, so they come here for their training or will be able to come here for their training and stuff like that. So that is uh, exciting. You know, I think what it what it means to me, Dan, is really growth means impact. So our growth means that we are impacting positively communities around the world and here, too. And that's uh, really what drives me 
for sure. No question about it. Good, Greg. Well, I can't think of anything else. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's always good to get in touch with you. Have a good one.